0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality (laughs) here in the old city of Jerusalem at Torah, overlooking the western wall. There's two types of prayer. There's formal prayer. There's informal prayer. So I was inside the city in a crowd of people of every type of Jew in Israel and we all got together. We read through a bunch of articles silently, reviewed them, and then someone called them out and we had to agree or disagree. And guess what? We agreed on all of them. We agreed on absolutely all of them. Yeah. Guess where we were? We were at Mincha, the afternoon service by the Mahane Yehuda Shuk, where every type of Jew prays together there. Nineteen radical articles of, of what are the key elements that need to take place for the Jewish people. And we all agreed on absolutely all of them. It was amazing how we were in full agreement on the entire thing. So there is something that all Jews agree upon, and we review them three times a day. And we review them uh, in the morning and in the afternoon. Not only do we review them, but a leader actually goes through them again. And everyone at the end of each article, everyone says, Amen. Which in English is, I'm in. Yeah? It just means, I'm in. Yeah, "I'm, I'm, I'm in. I'm with that. And so, what is all that stuff? And the answer is, all that stuff that we mentioned is the, it's the destiny of Israel. It's all about our destiny. And it was set up specifically with the intention that we're gonna, our destiny is going to ha- go through a lot of rough spots. Like we're going to have 2,000 years of rough, which makes sense because uh, we had about 2,000 years from Abraham till, um, till the destruction of the second temple. We had about 2,000 years pretty good. And then finally, Asav, who is the, you know, like today is the head of Asav, is the United States of Asav, The Aesav, who is Rome, destroyed our temple, and then we have 2,000 years of Rome. Now, if you look in last week's Parsha, Rebecca is pregnant, and she doesn't know she has twins. She just thinks she has some schizo baby in there, because every time she walks by a house of prayer to God, one baby, you know, the, the, the baby goes nuts trying to get out, and whenever she walks by a house of idolatry, the baby tries to get out. It's like turned on by the idolatry, so she thinks she's got a schizo baby and she just she doesn't like it and um i think maybe we should have air in here what do you think air oh, yeah. air would be good um you, you can uh, turn on the air conditioner right in front of your face <laughs> the, uh, just press power there that's lights those are lights and that's yeah so now i'm not sure we're going to get air but you don't have to do anything other than turn it on Yeah, that's it. But nothing came on, right? Can you open that window, please? Thank you. Sorry about the ambient noise. I'll try to speak up a bit. But I can hear my nose. I also got a lot of salt water in my sinuses right now because one wave absolutely pummeled me. And it shot salt water throughout every orifice I have. And so I just was packed with salt water. It might just come dripping out in the middle of this class, by the way, because at one point it just releases. It could be in the worst time possible. You know. Nice to meet you, Mr. President. <laughs> it just comes literally pouring out of your nose. I don't know what happens. Like something pre- uh, depressurizes, and then it all comes out. Yeah, so hopefully that won't happen in the front of you, all of you. I was in Ashdod. Ashdod is a little south of Tel Aviv. A little less traffic. When you're trying to come back to teach, yeah. anyway, the um, what was I talking about? Babies. What? Babies. So she thinks she has a schizo oh, baby, and she says the following words. These are very important words. She says, "Lama ze anochi." You know how you translate the word "lama ze anochi"? What's the word "lama"? Why? When I say "lama ze," this, this, right. this. What's "anochi"? Me, why this me? You know what that means? What am I living for? What am I living for? When a mother has a schizo baby, meaning the guy's like can't decide whether he wants God or whether he wants idolatry, you know the baby's just not. This is not a nachas baby. This is a trap. This is a problematic kid who's going to make trouble. And you know, so she starts thinking, what am I living for? Because think about it: when a woman would be in childbirth in those days, you're going to potentially die. You may live, you may die, but no one knows whether you'll live or die through that birth. So it must be that the birth was worth your life. But in this case, when the child likely won't carry on the traditions that they fought for, that Abraham fought for, and, and, uh, and Sarah fought for, and, and Isaac and rebecca So now Rebecca's pregnant with a baby who's like real questionable. And so she's thinking like, what am I living for? Because I may die over this and and like what am I what am I living for? It's very interesting how we think of children today because I don't think any of you think much more of like how much you'd like to have a child. But but having a child who's a scoundrel is I don't even know why why would you have a child if your child could potentially be a scoundrel? You know if he's a no good Nick so you made the world a worser place and you're gonna almost die having him or her and and you're gonna spend sleepless nights we're well, gonna have sleepless nights pregnant sleepless nights coming up to the birth the birth is dangerous then you're gonna have sleepless nights nursing this baby for about a year But it's amazing, people, I mean, I know Westerners have gotten so nihilistic that many of them aren't having children, and places like the U.S. or Northern Europe have uh, negative birth rates now because, you know, people finally realize, like, we are, human beings are just a problem on this Earth. And so why would I bring more problems? I remember when I was uh, visiting Los Angeles, I came in with my, my Chicks, you know, I've got a bunch of kids, one after the other. So I came walking in, and all my little chicks were following me in the house, and, and it was a it was a, a get together, and all my radical environmentalist friends were there, and they were like, they're like, Glazer, what's with all these kids? My goodness, like, you knew better than we did about overpopulation, lack of resources, and you know, Westerners are supposed to be so apologetic that they're supposed to actually negative birth rate themselves out of existence now to apologize for their overconsumption and and their carbon footprint on this globe. And so I said to them, it was amazing timing too, because we were sitting on the cliffs in California on a bus bench, not a bus bench, uh, you know, a cliff bench overlooking the Pacific. And just then, uh, someone's bag, they were eating chips or something, and the bag went, went flying. Like they finished the bag, went to throw it away, but it blew out and flew. And my kids went on, like all eight of them just went shooting down the, you know, alongside the cliff to go get the bag. Right when I said that when you're creating more of a problem, so I understand you, but when you're creating the solution, you should have as many kids as possible. And I remembered when uh, one chassid had 12 kids, and he was walking into an old folks home and a lady with numbers on her arm said to him, how many? And he said to her, until six million. So when you're you're living the values of Judaism, you want to have a lot of kids. Because this world needs us badly. Needs us badly, so you want to have, I mean, as many as you can handle, obviously. we don't need, because they'll be scoundrels if you can't handle them. So you need to be able to handle that amount of kids. And, um, but when you have kids, you're creating solutions, which means that you have to get super solid before you get married. Because then you're going to have kids. And if you're not super solid, so your kids are going to be nuts, especially in this generation. So we don't need nutty kids. So that means you've got to get your act together. But here's the funny thing, is that most of you are not, most of you are not someone who would do that at this point, which means you're not in the dating pool. Of you're not, you're not in the dating pool, meaning you're not marriageable, in a way that would create generations of Jews who would be the solution to the world's problems. Which means that anyone who is interested in you should be slapped, <laughs> because they're interested in something else. They're not that interested in in what marriage and child raising is about. They're they're interested in something else. Well, that's an important thing they're interested in. You got to have that as well, but otherwise they should be slapped. And you, the what you want to do is develop yourself such that you have that you have values that are that you won't compromise on you have to have uncompromising values and they should be eternal values and when you have those eternal values and you you've incorporated them and you've integrated them so now you're ready to actually invite someone else to join you in the journey but only after you've integrated the values Now, you might say, well, I'm lonely, and I'm not very good at integrating those values, but nor am I even interested in integrating those values. I'm just simply lonely. Okay, so get married and don't have kids. But to say I'm lonely and I want kids is not nice. Because you're supposed to give to kids, not have them give to you. But how many people have kids just to have some safe place to be loved? Because kids don't leave you. They're like dogs. They're very faithful. And they, they, they will love you even if you're married to someone who's a workaholic or something like that and is finding other priorities. So you'll, your kids will be very loyal. And so maybe now you're loved. Except the whole point of having kids was to give love, not take. Not to take from them. We're supposed to actually give our children love and create that next generation. Now, those values are what we do when we do formal prayer. We actually go through those values. So I'll give you a little example of uh, some of them. Anyone have a prayer book here? Thank you. Thanks so much. So here are some of those values. So the first value is... The first value is that is that there's a God. That's number one, that there's a God. And the second value is a little weird. <laughs> the second value is thats is that we're all going to somehow rise from the dead, which is like the most irrational thing ever. But, I mean, on the one hand, you all think that's crazy. I understand. I think it's pretty crazy, too. But it's... Um, But it is kind of interesting, because you who thinks it's crazy, you came from a microscopic putrid drop that mixed with an egg. And it was all microscopic, and there was nothing really there unless you had a microscope. And somehow within that is your DNA, and that DNA managed to, you know knock off a person and that's you yeah, and the knock it got it together and made you well there's a lot more than that microscopic stuff in the grave you understand they use forensic you know stuff from dead people and stuff and it's easy to get dna off bones and you understand there's a lot more material in a grave than there was in your conception and and the the prophet even says that like the, the that there's a particular bone. The prophet says that there's a bone. Oh, good. My source book just arrived. Uh, here's a seat right next to me. Always fine. Whenever I'm speaking around this rabbi, he always knows where it says what I'm sa- what I'm saying. He's my source book. So. So the prophet says that, that, that um, we have a tradition actually, we have a bone called the loose bone, which is, everyone feel the back of your head, there's a little bone, it's the a little bone that's the back of your skull. Feel your bone there, that's an important bone. And and our tradition, our Kabbalists teach us that, that that bone never disappears. When you die, it actually will stay. And, and by the way, obviously in Judaism, there's no cremation. And I'll say a word or two about that, is that, that the, um, you're not allowed to be cremated in Judaism. That's a total no-no, like a huge no-no. And, um, and, and it's not up to you. Okay? Judaism, does, your body's on land. God, so is your soul. This is not your body. I know it sounds un-American to say this is not your body, but this is not your body. You know, you're, you have this loner. Treat it well. It's your body temple. Make sure it stays holy. And the, and it's not yours to, you know, you get all these people today. They're like, you know, yes, we've, I've decided to be cremated. You know, and, <laughs> who the hell are you, man? <laughs> who the hell are you? You've decided to be cremated like, with your body? Yeah, we don't see it as our body. Yeah? You made it. You didn't make it. It was made out of the miraculous. It was made out of, really, out of thin air, really. you know, Microscopic things that could only ever put you together if there was God, which there is. And so, God lent you this body and put the soul in it. And when the soul leaves it, the Torah is very clear. The prophet says that it must go to the ground. Now, in the ground, you have this loose bone. And the loose bone, says the prophet, and I don't know if you know which profit, but it, it becomes like uh, butter-like at the end of days. It's, it'll be year 6,000. Right now we're in 5780, so year, 20 20 years 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 from now, 220 years from now, what's going to happen is the whole world's going to shift into some other category. We don't know what exactly, but the loose bone is going to turn to like butter. It's going to turn into this like butter substance, and then it's actually going to grow veins, and it's going to reconstruct you. Now, there's, it's very interesting, there's two opinions of who's going to get reconstructed. Why? Because you've lived many lives. Who's getting reconstructed here? Is everyone you've ever been being reconstructed? Or is like the $6 million man getting reconstructed? I Meaning, is it going to be a reconstruction of everyone you ever were into one being? Or is it everyone you ever were is going to rise? And then there's other subjects as well as is do only the tzaddikim rise? Do only the people who treated their body as a temple rise? And then there's another discussion of or is it only the bodies buried in Israel rise? Do you know that people ship bodies to Israel? I've had to pick some up at the airport. You should know there's a big fat tax on it. It goes in, the body goes with all the, uh, you know, all the cartons of things getting taxed by the tax authority. Here you are like going to pick up the body. If, if any body comes to do, do not send family because it's pretty upsetting to have to deal with the taxes on the body when it's one's own family. But do send a credit card. Bury the body at sea? Shipping the body is not the cost. Cost is the entry tax. I don't know the answer to that, but they're not going to let a dead body sit in a seat. So I asked. I once asked in the burial society, we're sitting there. I'm like a tax, and it was thousands of dollars. And I'm like, what in the world's going on here? And the guy guy says to me, the the guy from the burial society looks at me and he says, he says, says those people who want to just enjoy themselves out in the United States of Asif. And, you know, treat J- J- Israel like some token, you know, like, thank God for Israel. And on, you know, Yom Maud or something. And, you know, the Hatikva Jews over there. And, uh, and he says, uh, yeah, you want to live your life out there and then be buried amongst all the holy people here in the land of Israel? You're paying a tax. You're going to pay for that, baby. Yeah, that's going to cost you a good three, four grand to get to get into the country. Anyway, if you wanna if you wanna be buried in Israel, live in Israel. And yeah. <laughs> that's the point. Yeah. That's free. No, it's free. Yeah, yeah. He's he's that doesn't cost nothing. Yeah. As long as you're a citizen. As long as you're a citizen, you get right in. Anyway, so anyway, but they there and and what if you're at tzaddik Who's buried outside of Israel? What if you're a tzaddik buried outside of Israel? Do you, how do you get here? So it says that, it, that we actually have a tradition that the tzaddikim know the paths under the earth to get back to Israel, and so they're actually going to find their way back back to Israel. Tzaddikim. The tzaddikim. not be buried here. taking away, swaps, they're they're away There's room. There's room. You want to hear the craziest story? Oh my gosh! This is the weirdest thing. You want, you want? to hear the craziest story? I was teaching. I'll tell you two crazy stories. I was teaching this class, this very class. I don't know how I got back to this class, but I was talking about the importance of being buried in Israel. There was a kid in the class. Yeah, he, he looked like you or something. But no tzitzes, no kippa. He didn't know alephet. He's sitting in the class. I never. I didn't see the kid. There were a lot of people in the class. So I, you know, whatever. I teach the class. The guy. This kid comes back a year later, and I was like. He comes up to me so excited. I'm like, what are you so excited? Hi, who are you? He says, I was in your class a year ago. You spoke about the importance of being buried in Israel. And I said, yeah. He says, so I flew back to America, and I exhumed my parents' bodies, and I flew them to Israel. (laughs) And I reburied them. I'm like, how long were they dead? He's like, about 10 years. (laughs) His parents died very young. Anyway... The guy still didn't know olive pit. He didn't keep Judaism, anything, anyway. but he kept, kept. He started keeping Judaism. Today he keeps everything. and he Got married and has a beautiful family. But this guy, he took me a little too seriously, and went and did it. Another great story is um, is uh, when a a lady, uh, oh, at Ben Gurion Airport, when they were pulling all the animals out. You know, people bring dogs to you know when they travel. So they pulled all the animals out, and they find this, like, cocker spaniel, and it's just not moving, you know? And so they figured it's on sleeping pills, so they're shaking the box, you know? The people in the... <laughs> shaking the box, and it's just not moving. Anyway, they brought a vet over, and the vet's like, he didn't make it. And so, anyway, there's this old lady just going like, where's my dog, where's my dog? And she's like, like, we're working on it, lady. Anyway, they don't know what to do. So, so what do they do? The head of ben Airport, of baggage, sends a personnel guy to a pet shop to match the dog. <laughs> just, like, just like, good luck, man. Like, like that dog's going to answer this old lady, you know, when she says, sit, you know, and c- calls call the name. Anyway. They're all watching from the windows. You'll see in baggage claim in the future, you'll see there's a bunch of windows and offices up there, and they're all watching this happen. When they finally bring the dog, she's been waiting like an hour and a half. They bring the dog, and, you know, there are people watching. The person brings the dog, and he's like, here's your dog, man. You know, and, and the dog comes running out, and, and she's like, this is not my dog. <laughs> and they're like, oh, no. And he's like, this is not my dog. And they're like, lady, it's your dog. like, it's not my dog. I know my dog. Listen, lady, take the dog and leave. She's like, my dog's dead. (laughs) (laughs) I brought it to bury it. (laughs) 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 Anyway, so, so... The way you feed your loose bone is by doing something extremely painful in the summer and less painful in the winter. And what that is, is you have a fourth meal. You know how we have first meal Friday night, second meal Shabbos day, and then third meal Shabbos afternoon? So there's a fourth meal Saturday night in honor of King David, Mashiach ben David, the Suda of the Mashiach. And when you wash and eat a meal for Saturday night, it actually nourishes your loose bone for the end of days, for the 6,000 year. So, so if you could wash Saturday night and have a meal in honor of King David, who passed away actually on Shabbat, if you could have a meal in honor of him, a festive meal, you know, but at least wash and have in mind your loose bone and Mashiach. But Anyway, that's the second value is the resuscitation of the dead. And for some reason, I had to do that whole expose on resuscitation of the dead, which is, you know, is bizarre. Oh, I didn't answer the question. You know, we're just going to answer this and then call it a day. Do you come back as everyone you ever were? Or do you come back as the six million dollar man? So what do I mean by that? See, if you're going to be resuscitated, that means every person you were, every time you were incarnated into a body, would be coming back. So which one's you? You know, When all those bodies come back, you ever thought about which one's going to be you? And so that's one question we've got to deal with. And another question is, the other option is that, you see, there are 613 commandments. Those break into 365 negative ones, easy to remember. Those are the don't-dos, because the days of the year are the don't-dos. And 248 positive commandments, and those are the, excuse my French, do-dos. Now, the... The dues are 248, 248, easy to remember because 2 plus 2 is 4, and 4 plus 4 is 8, 248. So those are easy to remember, and the 365. But guess what? The human body has 248 major, minor limbs and organs, and it has 365 connective tissues that hold it together. Which is kind of telling you something that limbs and organs you do mitzvahs with, that's the do's. And the stuff that's holding you together, like what holds you together? The fact that you refrain from stuff. Like, for example, in your marriage, what, whole, what, what you do is say I love you. What you do is buy flowers. What you do is help out. What you do is, is listen when someone speaks. Those are do's. And the don't do's are what hold the marriage together. It's the same thing in our relationship with God. That we have the do's that are how we connect to God proactively. And the don't do's are how we you know, keep the conditions for connection to be possible. They hold stuff together. And so too in your body. You have 248 limbs and organs to do with. And you have 365 connective tissues that hold you together. Now, think about it. Every incarnation you've been in perhaps is a chance to perfect some part of your body. So meaning you were a Kohen, you were all, ladies, you were all a male Kohen at one point. And you did the mitzvahs in the temple at one point. You were, a, you were a Kohen guttel at one point and did the mitzvahs that the Kohen guttel does. Which isn't so far-fetched because the Kohen guttel is obviously going to be made up of all the souls of Israel. Consider, Think of his job. His job's to go in there right across from this window. Go in there on the holy, of, in the holy of holies, that you're only allowed once a year, and literally be the conduit for all the Jewish people to be forgiven. While he says a seventy-two letter name, and all the Jewish people are f- flat on their faces, saying Baruch Shem Kavod Malchuso Yilel while he says this name. Can you imagine knowing how to pronounce such a name? You're obviously not allowed to say it. You know, it's it's not something you get to just say and uh and the um so you were that person in one incarnation, and you've been a woman all you guys you know i mean you today you're a woman too, if you live in two thousand and nineteen, no offense with your little tight knickers over there, but the the uh, i'm just messing I'm just messing with you so but and heart? this guy's got his, look at this guy's shirt, oh my gosh <laughs> it's, a nice shirt. it's just, yeah it's he said it's a nice shirt. It's a wonderful shirt. But you wouldn't get caught dead wearing that thing in 2015. I'll tell you that. So the, um, sorry, you're a victim. <laughs> no, it is lovely. It's very pretty. <laughs> and tight. Anyway, the. Um, <laughs> I'd be great in Lakewood, wouldn't I? I'd be a hit. <laughs> This week's, this week's parsha. So the rabbis talking about the the this week this parsha is Jacob's ladder parsha, and tomorrow I'll be speaking all about climbing Jacob's ladder because that's really the path of path to God that we're all on, and so how do you get up that thing, and uh, so what was the mention of Luz exactly? It was he was in Luz, the place he, he the place where the ladder was touching down was Luz, right? Anyway, it is some like, hidden city experience. It, no one lied in lose? No, nobody ever lied. And no one either. ever lied in lose, and no one ever died in lose. When you got tired of life, you left the mysterious town, and when you left the gate, you dropped dead. Really? Uh, no one ever died in lose. So when it was time to die, you left. When you got tired, you could live forever. When people got tired of life, they walked out of losing that the gateway, they dropped dead, because then they were in the world of lying. Yeah, Luz is a mysterious, mysterious town. And it also is related to, uh, it relates to Peniel also. The uh, where, where is that? When he fought with Asaph, that's. I think that's also connected to Luz, is where Jacob and Asaph had their wrestling match. And Jacob said, seeing you was like seeing the face of God, Peniel. And very interestingly, the Peniel, the face of God, is the name of the gland in the human brain called the pineal gland and the pineal gland is a weird it has this weird thing it has it has um uh what do you call those cones visual it has visual cones they say that all the things you see while you dream when your eyes are closed and you're sleeping are you're seeing with the pineal gland pineal gland is in india is called the third eye and the and it it has uh, and it's very, very related to lose, and it's very, very, related, which is both your bone and this city, that's this spiritual city where the Jacob's Ladder was, and the pineal gland is is something that uh, that you want to protect also. And there's there's questions whether there's questions whether fluoride fluoride is um, causes. If you go online, you can see uh, we're not sure about this, but apparently fluoride calcifies your pineal gland. So if someone's not dreaming at night, you might want to get rid of the fluoride toothpaste you're using and get a good solid filter to get the fluoride out of your water and see if you start dreaming again. But uh, you can, that pineal gland apparently can calcify. And uh, so we're we're basically a fluoride-free home. And my wife really believes that ever since we got fluoride out of our house, that everything has shifted for our family. She believes that. I don't know if it's the case, but I'm a little skeptical, but, but she really believes that. And, uh, and be careful the red mineral waters, niviote They've put fluoride in there. Fluoride doesn't belong in mineral water. When you buy mineral water, you're like, the whole point is that you're, it's, we're going for the minerals that the earth gave, not the chemicals that the people gave. And the uh, red niviote bottles have fluoride in them as well. Um, anyway, but but very interesting, the first time fluoride was ever put in water was by the Nazis, and the Nazis were all about like they were this world materialist like survival of the fittest social Darwinists and no pineal gland please and they uh and so it's very interesting how the countries in the world started putting fluoride in the water after the nazis and and how much that might have to do with control controlling populations because. Having people dream is dangerous for governments, and when I say dream, i don't just mean dreaming when you sleep, but dreaming when you're awake as well is can be can be uh, threatening. I think I've said too much. <laughs> I also think that everything i'm just saying may be totally untrue, <laughs> which normally wouldn't happen, but it's there's definitely people who have you know, studied this stuff, and I'm just quoting them. You had you want to make a point because where it's 4:10, I have to finish. You want to ask? Have yeah. you, won't have time to it. you can ask it. Okay. What happens if against their will? Yeah. So, like all the people cremated in the Holocaust, so they're they're banking on a miracle that that you know God's going to bring them back. Now, by the way, being brought back isn't. You sure you want to come back? here six thousand being in the soul world ain't so bad either so maybe they're just directly in the soul world because they were instantly harvested to the creator God doesn't like you here no offense he wants you you're very distant right now and so and so the I mean how many souls were killed in the holocaust how many I trapped you I tricked you how many souls were killed in the holocaust Zero. So they're doing fine, those souls. The the ones who survived are the ones who, I have some questions about how well they're doing. But the ones who, who were taken, they're OK. And, being, and by the way, you want to hear another freaky Kabbalistic reality, this is my last Kabbalistic reality on death, is that anyone who's killed for being a Jew suffers no consequences for all their stupid choices in their life. It's the weirdest thing, but for some reason, if one is killed for being a Jew, they're off the hook for everything they ever did. Now, if you've done a lot of bad things and you think you can walk through the Arab Quarter with the t-shirt saying, I hate Arabs, you know, that's suicide. You can't do that. But anyone killed for being a Jew has zero consequences for their moves in life. So what if somebody wasn't killed for being a Jew? They, just, let's say, they, they opted for cremation? Yeah, I I don't know. That'd be a bummer. But I don't know what the answer is for that. Maybe they don't come back at 6,000. I don't know. Okay, everybody, this was one nutty class. And uh, please, God, tomorrow will be a little more coherent. Shalom. Shalom. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.